Each week we do our encouraging words. I hope that you have an opportunity to follow along as we mail them out by email each week. If you haven't received them, please text me as a senior pastor, 774-404-4314. We'd be very happy to get you signed up for this devotional that we are writing and sending out each week. We ended our prayer time, as we always do, with the Lord's Prayer. This next week, we're going to be concentrating on the Lord's Prayer. We're going to, each day, Monday through Friday, one of the pastors will have a devotional that we write on the Lord's Prayer. I know many people have expressed that it's helpful to get these as a way to center our lives and to keep us focused on God's Word during this time. That's the same reason why we come together for worship and read the Scriptures during our worship time and have a message on the scripture. This morning we're concluding our April series of Alive in Christ and this morning we're talking about moving from fear to faith. We're looking, if you have your Bibles, in John chapter 20 we'll be looking at verses 19 through 29. So I invite you to turn if you have a Bible with you. Otherwise you will be hearing as we go through this passage. Going from fear to faith is recognizing that our biggest problem in life, the number one thing that we struggle with, is getting caught up in our own thinking rather than reality. We have things that we start getting obsessed over or start thinking about that tear us down and take us into the wrong directions. I have a lot of illustrations I've used over the years about this. I call it the gerbil wheel because when I was a little kid I had gerbils and the Gerbils would get on that wheel and they would just run and run and run and not get anywhere. And that's kind of what our negative thinking can be. It just doesn't get us anywhere and it expends a lot of energy. Other times I've said that our negative thinking or our fearful thinking or our unhealthy thinking is a reminder that our heads are a dangerous neighborhood and we don't want to hang out there. So this morning as we talk about going from fear to faith, we're really talking about getting out of our heads and no longer just thinking that everything that we think is reality. Richard Rohr, who is an author that I love, says that our ultimate addiction is our own thoughts. We are literally addicted to our thoughts and we have to break out of them to realize that there's a reality beyond the things that we think of. And that's why when we get trapped in our thinking, it causes so much of a problem. I have a silly example that happened this last week. As many of you know, I think probably all of you know, Gronk came out of retirement. Surprise, surprise. Well, it was a surprise to me because I remember last year when people were talking about this, I conclusively said there was absolutely no way it would ever happen. I knew without any question, I knew exactly what he must have been thinking. He was like 29 years old, he'd made plenty of money, and he wanted to be done with football once and for all. Well, of course, this last week, Boston... And Massachusetts, who was in the height of the, the COVID-19 epidemic at our peak, and yet the newspaper, the Boston Globe, had as their lead article an article about Gronk signing with Tampa Bay. It tells you a little bit about how important football is in this region. But it also was, to me, a sort of gut check of, I was wrong. I thought I knew something that I didn't. And you know what? That's what a lot of life is like. We, we make these statements and we 
think these things and we think that we're in control of them, but we aren't. We are not in control of people, places, or things, and we cannot think what others think. We don't know the minds of others. In fact, we only know our own reality, and a lot of times our own reality is very, very, very flawed. In the first century, Jesus had raised from the dead. In John's Gospel, we're told that it's now eight days later And the early Christians were caught in negative thinking and their own thoughts. And they were convinced that what they were thinking was right, but it was wrong. They thought things like this. Dead people don't rise from the dead. His body must have been stolen. Maybe someone's out to get us. In fact, in our text, you're going to discover that they start thinking about that so much that they lock the doors to the house that they're in, thinking there must become conspiracy out there going on, that people are trying to, now that they've taken down Jesus, they're coming after us. And of course, none of that was true. They even thought things like God must have forsaken his own son. Well, today's passage is a reality check to realize that none of that was reality. That was just the thoughts that these people had. And so it's eight days after Jesus is raised from the dead and a bunch of his disciples and and his friends are all gathered together in one place and they're huddling together and they're worried and they've locked the doors and they're thinking, oh my goodness, there's somebody out there that's going to get us and they're concerned that the authorities are coming after them. And it reminds us that when we get alone, especially alone in our thoughts, we can get very fearful. Fear can start going through our heads or negative thinking can start going through our heads and we start creating a reality that's not a reality and never will be a reality. In our text it says, verse 19, on that evening, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, the disciples were there for fear. Look where their thinking had taken these disciples, locked doors, thinking leaders were out to get them. The word that John uses here for fear is a word Phobos, it's a Greek word that, of course, if you think about it, you know exactly how it's been used. It's the word phobia. And a phobia is an extreme or irrational fear or aversion to something. We get those phobias, those fears, those irrational thoughts, those ideas that we just can't shake out of our head. I love it when I can read something in science that reminds us of what the scriptures teach. And a lot of times I go and read articles in psychology today. And an article I read not long ago talked about how our phobias and our obsessing over things all comes out of our prefrontal cortex in our brains. And what happens is studies have been shown that when we start thinking these negative thoughts and we start really getting obsessed with negative thoughts, whether it be getting upset with someone else for something that we perceive that they've done or fearful that something is going to happen or worrying about something in our company that really isn't taking place anyhow, what we do is we try to think our way out of it and we try to think, okay, I'm not thinking the right thing, let me think something else. And the more we think, the worse it gets because we cannot think our way out of those times when we do what we would call ruminating. And I love the word ruminating. You may not know where it comes from. It's actually an agricultural term. It comes from a cow chewing its cud. A cow just chewing stuff over and over and over. That's kind of a negative example here, isn't it? That 
literally, when we think about it, when we think about having a phobia, when we think about just getting obsessed with something, we're kind of like cows sitting out on the orchard, just chewing something, going nowhere. It's kind of a yucky description of what we do to ourselves or what these early disciples had done to themselves. They had worked themselves into a state of frenzy, a state in which they were sure that others were out to get them. They sure there must have been a conspiracy. They were sure that all they could do was lock themselves away and try to protect themselves. As a church, last night we had our faith community movie night, and we watched the movie Greater. And it was a Brandon Burlesworth story. He's a college football player who played in the 1990s for the Arkansas Razorbacks, and he was a committed Christian man. And his life took a lot of twists and turns, and I don't want to spoil the movie for you, but it does begin by letting you know that he died at a young age, and people struggled over this. How could this young man who was so godly and so committed to God, and to have his life ended so early through a tragic car accident. And well, one of the things that came out is he lived by a philosophy that doesn't necessarily do anything other than give us a perspective. He lived his life saying, just because we don't see the point doesn't mean there isn't one. Just because we don't see a greater truth or don't understand it, don't go around and think that you can think your way out of it and make sense out of everything. Sometimes it's just faith that we have to just accept that there's more than we can see and we need to get away from our negative thoughts. In fact, on his tombstone, these words are printed, our loss is great, but God is greater. You see, instead of getting caught up in our negative thoughts and our fearful thoughts and our thinking that takes us down, what God wants us to do and what the resurrection starts to do for these early Christians is move us out of our fears and out of our doubts to something else. And what that is, is learning to trust Jesus. Learning in every situation of our life to just give it to Jesus. Just to have that personal relationship where we can talk to Christ, we can have him as a part of our life where he's our friend, he's our savior, he's our guide, and when those things start happening, we can just turn it over to him and we can just trust him. In verse 19, we're told that these disciples were filled with fear. The doors were locked. They were concerned that there were people out to get them. They didn't know what was coming next. And Jesus comes, resurrected Christ, comes and stood among them, the text says, 19b. And he said to them, peace be with you. Peace. You see, when we move from our fears in our aloneness, and trust in Jesus, we discover that all he wants to give us every single time is peace. Jesus appeared and the circumstances were the same. He didn't change the circumstances. He didn't all of a sudden change what was happening with these group of people. He didn't change their economic circumstances and he didn't find them all a great job. Rather, he said one word, peace. It's that wonderful Hebrew word, shalom. It means well-being based on the finished work of Jesus. The Christ has done everything for us. The God has done everything to give you a good life. Now trust in Jesus and experience his peace. Move away from our negative thinking or our concerns. The one thing that they needed to do to have peace was to trust Jesus. It gets me thinking of Jesus on the boat. There's a wonderful story where the disciples are out fishing. 
and there's a storm. And all of a sudden, these fishermen, who should be the experts on the day because they've invited Jesus along. He's not a fisherman. His father was a carpenter. And now he's become a teacher and, you know, maybe more of a rabbi. He's closer to me. If you're going to take me out in the water, I don't know a lot about the ocean either. And Jesus is out with them, and there's this huge storm, and these fishermen get absolutely terrified. The boat starts rocking, and Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat. He's laying there okay. And finally, they wake him up, not to have him do anything, but to say to him, why don't you care? Aren't you concerned that we're all perishing? And Jesus stands up and he says the same word, peace, be still. Now, the Bible tells us that the storm subsides, but the other storm that subsides is a storm that's going on inside those disciples, because that's what happens to us. We get ourselves all worked up. We get ourselves all filled with anxiety. We get ourselves all focusing on everything else. And what Jesus wants us to do is just stop focusing on that. You see, the more that we focus on the problem, the more that we think about it, the more we think we can think our way out of it, the more we think that, well, maybe if that didn't work, what about this? And maybe they're not thinking, how about that? And Jesus says, stop all of that. Peace, be still. Let it go. Same thing he says in our text. You might be at home and you might be struggling with concerns about what you think is going to happen. Well, you know what? You don't know what's going to happen in the future. Neither do I. I certainly didn't know Gronk was going to come out of retirement. And I don't know what the medical community is going to announce tomorrow. You may be concerned with what you see other people doing and, and maybe they're not living the way you think that they should live and, and you get yourself all upset and we're doing that and we do it as a society and we, we get ourselves fearful and peace, Jesus says. Turn to me, trust me. Give your life to me. If there's somebody that you're concerned with their behavior or how they're acting, instead of focusing on it and thinking about it and talking about it, people will go to social media and they'll start posting things and get themselves upset and see how many more people they can get upset. And Jesus says, do the opposite. Stop and give it to me. If you're really concerned about somebody and you're really concerned that somebody else needs to change, trust in God. Pray for the person and trust that God can work in their life. Or the other thing that we discover in our text is then we learn to rely on the Holy Spirit. Because when we rely on the Holy Spirit, we start having wisdom in our life. You see, being a cow chewing its cud in the middle of a pasture is not really how you and I want to live our lives. That's not really a very wise way to, to be a 21st century Christian. To be just simply dwelling on stuff and obsessing over it and worrying about it and angry and holding on to grudges and holding on to resentments and thinking about what somebody else did, that just destroys our life and it keeps us up at night and, and no matter what the circumstances are around us, nobody can solve that for us. And if we're waiting for all the circumstances and everything out there to change, it's not going to change, but we can get not fixated on that, trust in Jesus, and then rely on the Holy Spirit. And then we start having wisdom, and we start realizing how to live our lives. I like to say the things that formerly baffled us, the stuff that in the past made no sense, we have a new sense of spiritual well-being. And we can figure out things that we never thought we could figure out before. Verse 22, these disciples have been all upset. They're fearful. They're alone. They're in their negative thoughts. Jesus has told them to be Still, to turn their eyes on him, to find his peace. And in verse 22, 
We're told that when Jesus said this, he breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. You see, spiritual life is all about relying on the Holy Spirit. Jesus literally just exhales. Now receive the Holy Spirit, he says. Trust in God's Spirit. Trust that God is working. Trust that the Holy Spirit will guide you. Quit focusing on the stuff that's upsetting you because you can't fix it anyhow. And give it to God and trust on his Spirit. It's what we mean when we say, I can't, God can, and I'll let him. Turn it over. Believe that the Holy Spirit is working in your life and working in others' lives. And rather than going to that prefrontal cortex of our brain that keeps making us think that we're in control of something we're not in control of, start trusting and start watching as you turn it over to God and see how the Holy Spirit starts working. You'll be amazed. All of a sudden, somebody that you're praying for, you'll hear them come back and say that they've had a change of heart. And you won't have changed their heart. God will have changed their heart. All of a sudden, situations that baffled you in the, in the former times when you're thinking about it and obsessing about it, all of a sudden you'll start discovering that God starts working things out because that's the business that he does. Because that Holy Spirit is like the wind, Jesus says. It's like our breath. You can't see it. You can't see where it comes from. You can't see where it goes. You have no idea who and where it's working. But it is working, and that positive force that God is working in this world is happening all around. And then he explains what it means. He shows in verse 23 how to trust the Holy Spirit. He says, verse 23, if you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. If you would withhold them, they're withheld. We struggled with that verse over the years, and I actually believe I totally comprehend what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if you're dwelling on something and you're holding on to it, it'll always be held on to it. If you can't forgive somebody, it'll never get forgiven, and it'll still be in your heart, and it'll still continue to be there. However, if you forgive them, it'll be gone. I'm fond of saying when somebody tells me that somebody else they're obsessed over holding something on, I'll ask the question, how much money are they paying to rent that thought in your brain? Because no matter how much it is, they're not paying you enough. It's not worth it. Once we rely on the Holy Spirit and let things go, we have peace. That's all he's saying. You trust the Holy Spirit and you forgive others. They're forgiven and you can move on. But if you withhold it, you withhold it. The problem is that we want more evidence. We want it concrete and we want to see it. And Jesus says, it's really more like the breath. More like just being breathed on by Jesus. It's more like the wind working. We don't have to see the wind, but we can feel its effects. In the same way, our spiritual life is when we trust in Jesus and believe the Holy Spirit's working, we will see the results of it, but we don't have to have the concrete evidence. That's why the story comes next about Thomas. And, of course, Thomas is that great evangelist of doubt. He stands for all the people in this world who really can't move on until they have concrete evidence about everything. And he finally does see Jesus, and he says, Oh, my Lord and my God, when he sees him alive, and he sees the nail scars in his hand, and even where the sword went into his side, and Jesus says wonderful words to him. He says, Thomas, you've believed because you've seen. It's way more blessed, those who've never seen and believed. That's us. It's far better for us. 
Our lives are way better. That we don't have to have concrete evidence about everything. All we need to do is learn to quit ruminating and focusing on the stuff the way the disciples did and getting locked in our thinking and think that we have it figured out and then we're troubled and then we think more and then we think that if I think more about it and I plan more or post more or call one more person or text somebody else that it's going to get better and our lives just keep spiraling and we spin and it's awful. And Jesus says, no, instead of doing that, You don't have to see it all. You don't have to have it all concrete in front of you. It's like the wind. You can believe that God is working. Turn your eyes to Jesus. Give it up. It's the same thing that science tells you. Give it up. Turn it over. Do something different. Go take a walk. Go for a walk outside and look at the beautiful day. Go work in the garden. In psychology today, it was really fascinating. It said, once you get your mind not focused on the stuff that's all upset and focused on something else, try doing something as simple as standing on one leg and keeping your balance and start focusing on that, and you'll discover something amazing. As you make yourself think about that, you won't be thinking about the stuff that was troubling you, and you're going to feel better. Exact same advice that Jesus gives. Turn your eyes on Jesus, get focused on his love, get focused on the Holy Spirit's work, and life gets better. Otherwise, you know what we do? We're like that guy in New York in, I think it was about 2003, who thought he could raise in his apartment a cute little eight-week-old Siberian Bengal tiger. It's true. The tiger's name was Ming. And he was living in an apartment building in New York City. And he had this cute little cuddly tiger. And he went and he bought it and he was able to somehow get it and get it to New York. And he raised it in his apartment. And he thought that somehow that would be a good idea. That's kind of like keeping a negative thought, isn't it? Like thinking somehow I can dwell on this and ruminate on it. And it's kind of like that cute little tiger doesn't seem like a lot. You know, it's a resentment I have towards somebody. You know, they probably deserve it and actually makes me feel better to realize that I'm upset with them. And then all of a sudden, you know what happened to that tiger? It started to grow. The cute little tiger grew to be 300 pounds. It eventually got to the point where he had to go out and buy 20 pounds of raw chicken every single day. And now that's a tough thing to do, even in New York City, to not raise suspicion when you're buying 20 pounds of raw chicken to feed the tiger. But that's what happens with our negative thoughts or like these these disciples. All of a sudden, we've got this thing that it started one way and all of a sudden it's got bigger and it's consuming more of our time and more of who we are. Now, he did a lot to to hide the fact that he had that tiger. In fact, there were times that he had people who he rented out part of his apartment to and they didn't even know he had that tiger in there. So somehow he was able to contain it, and that's, again, what we do with our thinking. We're kind of like a guy with a tiger. We're just trying to hide it and protect it and keep it going, and it's like, what do I do now? And all of a sudden, we've got a 300-pound tiger living in our apartment. Well, finally what happened is that tiger did a lot of damage to him and scratched him and all kinds of stuff, and he had to go to the emergency room, and the police came, and they showed up, and when they got there, the tiger came roaring out at the windows. The police couldn't even go in. They had to eventually drill through a neighbor's wall to get in and tranquilize the tiger to get the tiger out of there. See what we create in our lives? 
We think it's a cute little tiger puppy. I guess it'd be a kitten, it wouldn't be a puppy. And all of a sudden, one day, we find we have a full-blown, 300-pound Siberian Bengal tiger living in our head. What keeps us doing that? We just keep thinking we can do it. We just keep thinking it's okay. We just think we can figure it out. Maybe if I buy more raw chicken, tomorrow will be a better day. Maybe that tiger won't come after me. But when we learn to trust Jesus and rely on the Holy Spirit, we can get rid of it. We can let it go. And we can find peace. And that's what Jesus wants in our life. That's what resurrection is all about. Is God raising Jesus from the dead with the power of resurrection to say to you and to me, when those things start dwelling in us and start tearing us down, and if we're sitting around now all obsessed and upset about the coronavirus and wondering what's coming next, God says to us, just trust in him. Just turn your eyes to Jesus. Just trust in the Holy Spirit. John tells us in this very gospel that Jesus did many other things in the presence of his disciples that aren't written in the book. But these things are just written here so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, we would have life in his name. And that's what he promises you today. Not fear and doubt and worry and concern, but life, peace, to get on with our living. And that's what I invite you to do. Whatever has taken your mind, wherever you are, that is concerning you or disturbing you or whatever resentment you may have or whatever you're holding or harboring onto and thinking that you can think your way out of it or figure your way out of it, guess what? You can't hold on to that 300-pound tiger any longer, and I invite you to give it up to go from fear to faith, to trust in Jesus, to believe that the Holy Spirit is working just like the wind. And that if we can pray and give our concerns to God, that God will take care of it in things that need to be changed and ideas and attitudes and people. We're not powerful enough to do it anyhow, but God is. Let's give it to him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for a time to open your word and look at how you want us to live our lives now. Help us to do it. Help us to realize that it's better to stand on one foot than to hold on to a tiger that we think we can control. It's better to trust in the wind to change things than it is to think that we can. Guide and direct our hearts and help us give our concerns to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.